0: Well, the last few years, I've been preaching sermons about mothers on Mother's Day, sermons about fathers on Father's Day. For the first 40 years of me preaching, I just didn't do that very much. And I thought, well, come on, don't be ridiculous. People are thinking about that, and it's a good thing, so preach on that. And and it's a very important subject. I've been speaking on, even meetings all around the country and stuff like that, on home and its relationships since 1975 when I first started preaching. Wrote a big thing on that and, uh, you know, and it's been a big part of what I talk about and do, but um, so I don't want to shy away from that. And it's become much more um, pertinent as years go by. So i got this brilliant idea. I think I've changed my lesson three or four times in the last few days and probably will change it as we stand here speaking. But I got this brilliant idea that this year on Mother's Day, I was going to speak on some sins that are common to women. Because women ain't perfect, mothers ain't perfect. And then on Father's Day, I was going to talk about how great men are and how necessary they are to the functioning of the world. Because that's just the opposite of what we hear every year. What we hear every year is, mothers are wonderful, they ain't a bad one in the whole world. They're necessary and so beautiful and and all that. And men, you know, you're just a bunch of dogs that can't do anything right. You beat all the women, you're you're insensitive and brutes. And, you know, this is what we hear every year. And I was going to say, I'm just going to do my part to reverse that tide a little bit. You know, stick my toe in the water. But I got that look from my wife, who is a mother. So I thought, well, I'll just reverse it. You know, I'll just do the flip side of that. Ah, then I thought, yeah, well, Mike, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just going to say a whole bunch of stuff and we'll see, see what happens. And you'll see where it goes from here. But it's, it's funny because the things that I hear about men and women, and it's changed since the time that I became a preacher, somewhat, are not, not biblical, they're not according to the text of the Bible. And they're not even what I see in real life. Okay, I get told, I've been told, for example, over the years that I need to get in touch with my feminine side. And I say, I touch Judy all the time. She's my feminine side. I'm a male. I have a masculine side. She's my feminine side. People don't even understand that. Uh, But today, the truth is, we don't even know what masculine and feminine are. We've gotten way off track. We don't even know what, how can we celebrate Mother's Day when we don't even know what a mother or a woman is? It's just incredibly ridiculous. This shows how far from this biblical truth we've come. And, And so I want to talk a little bit about just what the Bible does say about some of these things in a more fundamental way. And then I'm going to give you a few things you can take away from this. Most of my life growing up in the church, and I've been listening to sermons since I could even understand the English language. That's how long I've been sitting on that front row listening to sermons. And most of my life, even from what I would consider sound gospel preachers, I heard how wonderful women are and how men should be more like women and be more sensitive and emotional and blah, blah, blah. I heard they weren't saying it in those words, but that's what they were saying. Women are better than men. I don't believe that. I know that's heresy. Please let me finish the sermon. But I don't believe women are better than men. I know that. And that goes, And you can say, well, Michael, everybody knows that. No, everybody doesn't know that, okay? Not people in the church and not people in the world. Because we've tried to turn our men into women. We've tried to turn our young men into women in our culture. And all the qualities we, but but of course, there's no such thing as a feminine quantity, quality. This this is the contradiction of the feminist uh, trash that's been put out there over my lifetime. And by the way, feminism isn't believing that women should be treated correctly and equally. That's not feminism. I'm talking about radical feminism that we've seen pushed in our society for a long time. But they first tell us that. That female qualities are better, and we should have more feminine qualities, and then they tell us that all of us are the same. Pick one, okay? Pick which one you want, but you can't have both of those. It's completely illogical to say those two things, and to say that feminine qualities are better, and, and there is such a thing as toxic masculine. Mas- when is the last time you heard anybody talk about toxic femininity? Ever heard anybody talk about that? Oh, it's out there. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about that which we'll talk about on Father's Day maybe. But you think I should do it? I should have put up there toxic femininity for Mother's Day sermon. You know, like the woman who tears down her house with her own hands? Like the woman who is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop all alone than to dwell that kind of woman? I mean, that kind of toxic female? The one who's guilty of gossip and all kinds of other stuff in the New Testament? You mean that kind of woman? So we have this, mis- and my point about that is not to attack women. My point is that men and women are equally bad. And they're equally good, okay, depending on what they do, whether they live according to what God says. So what determines whether a woman is good or bad, or whether a man is good or bad? Well, it's whether they are doing what God told them to do, given their gender and sex. Are they doing that? Are they living that? And are they teaching that to other people? Because part of, a, part of being a good woman is teaching younger women how to be a good woman, which is often overlooked. So that's the only question not that they one is better than the other or one should be like the other. And I don't even have this up here. Yeah, here we go. Uh, there's uh, a woman I admire, 40, 47, almost 40, Yeah, 47 years ago. We just had number 47. I always have to ask. I never seem to know. I used to have a wedding ring that I could look at and it had a date in there, but then I, somebody stole it, so. And here's a few other women that I have admired in my life. I, I said on the radio this morning, I said it to you before. For you all to think I'm anti-female, I, I, I tell you plainly And cl- over the years, I have been more influenced by women than I have by men in my lifetime, most likely. Maybe that's why I got such a bad attitude because of all those, you know, toxic fem- females I've been around. But, you know, up here on this side, my mother... And her mother is over on that side. These are the two women that influenced me the most in my life, by far, of anybody that I've ever known. And, and I'll say that just because it's Mother's Day. I've said it many times. And they were very different people, my mother and my grandmother, her mother. And then there's Judy's mother down in the bottom left-hand corner, her adoptive mother. And that's my grandmother. The picture was her wedding picture. My father's mother, taken in about... 1922 or 23, in a good old big German wedding in Cincinnati. And uh, that's my grandmother Monty there at the bottom, as a bride, and then my bride, and my father and mother and me in the middle. So, And that's an antique picture, I guess, these days, isn't it? (laughs) Forty-some years old. So, women are very important, and I would say most men will tell you that, that women influence them a great deal. And uh, fathers seem to get the short shrift and sometimes they deserve it but there are plenty of you if we heard the stories who would tell you my mother influenced me very negatively in my life extremely negative in fact there's a lot of women and you hear more and more articles every year around this time coming out not only from so-called christian publications or writers but from secular ones That mother mother's day is a horrible time for them because their mother was such a bad person and hurt them almost. Inten- a lot of fathers hurt children, but they do so unintentionally. It seems from what I can read that women hurt their children intentionally, oftentimes. It's a, it's a directed malice and envy that they have toward their children. Uh, so, they, once again, the sexes are different. Neither one is better, but they're different. But there's a lot of people that, because they've had an abortion, don't want to hear about Mother's Day. A lot of people who, because they've not been able to have a child, don't want to hear about Mother's Day. They don't want you to even talk about it. It's a, it's a toxic holiday, they say. They don't want to hear about it because they didn't like their mother, or whatever the case may be. I understand that in a way. And, and there are people that would love to have children but have never been able to have children. And this holiday is not meant to disparage those people. I know that's how some of them feel. But I don't think when I praise my mother and grandmother that I'm somehow disparaging those people who cannot bear a child. Uh, J- Judy's mother there on the bottom uh, I guess it's your left here uh, she, she never had a child by, by natural means. She adopted my daughter, and uh, my, my wife, I mean, saved her life, maybe. But so there's a lot of ways to do right as a woman and as a mother. Go into the text. Let's just look at a few things the Bible says about this. The Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew 19 and they tested him saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And there is the big statement for our times. Made all that long ago and even quoted, this, quoted Moses from a long time further back he made them male and female this in sweden is has a, is a jailable offense there are a couple of preachers in jail they were acquitted but now they're being reprocessed to try because they stood on the street corners and they wrote a pamphlet saying god made male and female that's what he made this is hate speech when you people vote for political candidates who support hate speech laws, this is what you're voting for in the United States. Because this is considered hate speech by the gay rights activists and LGBTQ people. He made them male and female. Well, aren't we having that challenged every single day all all around us that there are two male and female? This is hate speech. Because when you say that, you're challenging the notion that there's people in between or that somehow this is a valid category to put people in. But the Bible is very clear about this. I don't believe in hate, and when I say that, I'm not saying it in a hateful, hateful manner. I am telling you that this is what God said, and we ought to respect what that means. You see, postmodernism and post postmodernism that we're living under now, and I tend to do some lessons on this in the very near future, their basic, the basic premise there that we're living under is that there's no such thing as truth. Truth is simply a subjective matter, just a category you put things in, but there's no such thing as objective truth, like he made males and there's females. And what we're seeing is the, the bringing of all of this down to the street level, that there's no such thing as male and females. We're living in a time when people don't know the truth, but the ignorance is self-inflicted because they believe and they're teaching your children that you cannot know the truth because there's no such thing as truth. It's only what you're living at the moment is your truth. It's your truth because you're living at the moment. Now then, Jesus said, and quotes Moses, and for this reason, well, actually he's quoting God here, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. This is the basis of human society. You say it's the basis of marriage, that's true, but it is the basis of human society across all cultures in some form or another. This male-female relationship is fundamental to being a human being and always has been from every time we, as far back in history as we can go and see that that's a human being that's there on that wall or talking or whatever they're carving in rocks. This truth of male and female has been there since then and carries on to today and we still struggle with it. But Jesus said, this is what God designed in the beginning. And go back further than that, than Genesis 2, back to Genesis 1, he says, let us make man in our image. That word man there is the word, I think, for human beings. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. That's mankind in the image of God created he him, that's the male, male and female, created he them. So there's a sense, and Paul talks about this, we won't get into it in 1 Corinthians 11, in which the male is made specifically in the likeness of God and the female is made in the likeness of, I think he says in New Testament, in the likeness of the son. One is the head, one is in subjection, father and son in the Godhead. That's the likenesses of the two. But this says he created him, meaning man, the male is made in the image of God, in the sense of authority and other ways, perhaps. We don't even understand. This is controversial. But in the end, I'm getting ahead of, I'm not going to go there, but. In the end, who does God say will be exalted above every name that is named, above everything in heaven and earth? Who? The son who serves, who is in subjection. So if women are in the likeness of the Sun, you think I'm insulting them, but the Bible says they'll be there to be exalted. And by the way, also this brings up another point. I don't believe what I hear from Christians all the time. That woman is the pinnacle of creation, that she is the top of creation because she was made after man. She's therefore even better than men because she's at the pinnacle of creation. That's not what the Bible says about that. It's the, it's, it's the human beings at the top. Man, Adam, is at the top, and woman was made from his side to serve him, to be his helper. Not that she's greater in the pinnacle. I don't know where Christians get this stuff, but they do. And it alters how we think about the Bible text. And, and so we need to think about this. And here's the thing about I don't want you to understand before. I won't get to this maybe. If we keep things the way the Bible says they are, and keep that truth in our mind, and that those relationships as they are, then true honor will accrue to everybody involved in that. We can make up honor for people. We can make up stuff ourselves about men or women or whatever, children, whatever the case may be. And we're not keeping. We don't keep it in the right place. Then. In the long run, dishonor comes. True honor comes when we respect what God says about it. The idea in modern um, people's thinking is that children are the most important thing in marriage. Not what the Bible says. I told my children, it was fun making you and I can make more of you. Don't mess with me. Your, don't, and especially don't mess with your mother. That's what I told my children. Don't try to come between us. We have our bed, we sleep in our bed. You're not going to get in here and wiggle sideways and push us apart. Literally. Your mom and I and your mother's the most important thing, and you can't come between us. I'll feed you, take care of you, I love you, but you're the child. Man. Terrible, isn't it? And you know what my children do? They live by that rule themselves. And they have a happier marriage because of it, I think. They have better lives because of it. And their children do better because of it. I knew from my dad, don't mess with your mother. She's mine. That's what my dad more or less told me. In fact, one day when I was a teenager, I said said something smart to my mother. I, in the I remember this so vividly. I was in the kitchen, and my dad didn't say he don't say much. He come over to me, he grabbed me right here by the shirt, lifted me off the ground, looked me in the eye, and said, "That's my wife. Don't you ever talk her that way again." He put me back down. Okay. <laughs> He said, or else you're going to be looking at the ceiling real fast. Don't ever talk to my wife that way again. Wow. What a lesson for a teenage boy. And I, I love him for that. But anyway, we're far afield. Here's what the Bible says. And God blessed them, the two, because they were together. They're one. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. First command isn't to go out and work. The first command is to have babies. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves. These two together, male and female, husband, the head, the wife, serving him and honoring him, those two together go out and conquer the world. Have dominion over the world. Now, this gets you in trouble with environmentalists, but that's what he says to do. And when he saw this, the way he made everything in this order, in this fashion, he says this is good, very good. That doesn't mean morally good. That means useful. It's the way it's supposed to be. This will work, he saying. This functions as it should and will accomplish what is I intend for it to accomplish. That's what the word good there means. When we dispute, when we try to meddle with that order and that structure and that rearrangement. We think we're doing something that works better, but it won't work better. It's about like me working on stuff when I was a teenager trying to improve stuff, you know. It never worked like I thought it was going to. So what is marriage about? Well, the nature of marriage is that it's monogamous. There's just one-to-one. We can get into a lot in that. And its nature is that it's sexual. It's about the two sexes. And you can't get away from that. The idea that marriage is just about two friends. I'm looking for my best friend. No. I'm looking for my soulmate. The Bible doesn't say that. It's a sexual male-female relationship. And the fact that they are different from each other on purpose from God and they complement each other is essential to the marriage relationship, understanding what it is. So its nature is sexual. And the basis of it is man's created need for companionship. God made... Men and then as companion, later women, to need this companionship and fulfillment. Not everybody gets to enjoy that. I understand. This is, this is, these are the general principles. Not everybody is blessed to enjoy that. Not everybody is blessed even by their own actions to be able to enjoy that. But this is what marriage was designed for, according to the passage we just read. And the purpose of marriage was to enable human beings to multiply and fill up the earth and to subdue the earth. And you find that societies have this arrangement in some sort of order. They're able to subdue the earth and to bring about the betterment of all human beings with this arrangement. When that arrangement is destroyed, then it doesn't work so well. And we're starting to see the fruits of that idea, you see. I could go into that, but we will not get too far afield. So we also see that man is the head and the provider woman is the house ruler, literally, I'll show you that in just a second, who is a help, meet, or suitable, and she's in subjection. And so, the Bible says, for example, 1 Timothy 5, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God expects you to go out and work and provide for your own. Young men, this is what your goal in life is. And this would include if you don't even have a wife. Your goal is to take care of those around you. You're the provider. And that means you've got to put the video game down, unless you're making a lot of money with that and taking care of your family, and go out and get a job and find something to do that's useful and take care of people. And you know when you do that, you become a better man when you do that. You become a better person. It changes you entirely when you put your work and put some effort into what you're doing, whether it's with your hands or your mind, uh, whatever it may be. You set your heart on having dominion over the earth and taking care of those people around you. Sometimes they'll treat you back well, Well, sometimes they won't, but that's your duty. God made you to do that as a man. What's wrong with the males of modern America and around the world, really? Why are so many involved in violence and drugs and hopeless lives and gangs? Because they've not imbibed of this spirit that you're supposed to be taking care of these people. They've been cut off from the women and children in their lives by the law and by Other means, by government action, they've been cut off from their what the women and children. And therefore, they have nothing to do except be violent and lazy. Does it make them better men? No. It doesn't mean that they're intrinsically bad. I don't believe that. I just believe they've never been shown what their purpose as a man is or can be. And therefore, they waste it. And who does that to them? Well, I have to say it on Mother's Day, but to a large degree, the women in their lives do that to them. But they need to be a man and get over that. You can't go along your whole life, men, whining that some woman won't let you do what you want. Uh, Eventually, you've got to be a man and go out and take it by the horns and do what's right and and, uh, so forth. Women say that they want a nice, soft, easygoing husband who writes poetry for them, but that ain't what they want. They want a man to go out and conquer the world and take care of them. That's what they want. Women do a lot of that, saying one thing and wanting another, but that's just part of being a husband. All right, sorry. <laughs> I love my wife for that reason. She doesn't do that to me. She saved. I, I, oh, see, this is bad. I told her yesterday, I said, honey, I don't even know even how to explain it, but I don't have a Mother's Day present for you. I don't even have a corsage for you. I get her a corsage every year so she can come to church and, and be and, you, and you'll say that's beautiful and you'll say, isn't Mike a nice guy? But that's beside the point. And she says, oh, she says, don't worry. She says, a couple years ago, you bought me a permanent corsage I can keep in the drawer. It's a, you spend a lot of money on a permanent corsage. I said, oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? <laughs> Aren't you special? I was thinking to myself. Anyway, for doing that. No, I don't like it. Actually, I don't like that anymore. I want to go buy her a corsage every year. I thought I'd save a little money. And I thought I'd get, I did get bounty points because I spent a lot of money at it for one year, but it doesn't work every year. The Lord said it's not good that man should be alone. When he saw Adam here, naming the animals, I'll make him a helper, comparable to him. King James is a help meet. He, he's going to make a help that's meet or meet suitable for Adam. It's not one word, it's two words. He makes Adam a helper or a help to him, an aid, who is comparable to him. You know, donkeys and mules and horses can help a man, aid a man to do his work, but they're not comparable to the man. That's the difference. They don't correspond to him. Now, what you see is this literally means, in Hebrew, an answering to, something that is an echo of himself. It is uh, to sucker or to help. It's a, a help or a sucker to hold him up, to encourage him, to provide him what he needs that's comparable to him and it's an answering to him. And so there is a sense, truly, both physically, the male and female bodies fit together just as they're designed to. The shapes are inverted from each other on purpose. God says, this is the helper I'm going to make. She's going to correspond to you. And they do so emotionally and in other ways also. They correspond. I I know that some men, I mean some women may be more aggressive than some men. And usually when you meet an aggressive, I'm using the word in quotes now, aggressive women, you meet a very passive man that she's married to. That's how that works. But I still say that there's a correspondence between female aggression and male passivity that goes together this way. They're not the same. I can be sensitive, but I can't be sensitive like a woman because I'm not a woman. I'm a man. So my sensitivity is going to be sensitivity, but it's going to look different. And one of the things God says about young women that they should love their husbands. You know, the interesting thing about that phrase, we haven't got it on our charts here, but that phrase in Timothy or Titus, that a young woman should be trained to love their husband, it's an important word. The word there is not agape. Husbands are told to love their wives. The word love there is agape. Treat her with a self-sacrificing love that's only for her own good. That's how a husband's supposed to treat his wife as Christ loved the church. Self-sacrificing, seeking everything that's good for her. But that's not what it says about the woman. It says, and part of that's because of arranged marriages at that time. He says to her she should love her husband. The word there is um. To be a man-lover, it's, it's phileo. It, it's a, we get the word philanderer from that. It's andros, it's male, andros, and philos, love. What's a philanderer in our vernacular? Well, it's a guy that has a lot, it's a lover boy. It's a guy that goes out and has lots of women. In this usage in the New Testament, it means you need to teach, that he's talking to older women, you need to teach these young wives, to love men to love their husband as a man to be a man lover but what young wives usually want according to our culture what our culture teaches them what a lot of women's books even christian ones teach young women is that they want to turn their man into a woman they want to get they want their object is to take their husband who's a man and make him act more like a woman no your job is to love your husband as a man because he's a man. Learn to appreciate his manly qualities and accentuate them. Not try to turn him into just a, a corresponding female man like you, like you want him to be. Because why? Well, it's good for him and it's good for you. Now, that's another whole sermon. Well, you've got the gist of it. Probably got enough. So anyway, we aren't going to read all these verses here. But when this happens, when God creates this comparable help that corresponds to him physically and emotionally in every other way. Adam says, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She would be called woman, womb In Old English, womb, womb man, a man with a womb. I know that's the Secretary of the Navy or whoever she is now, Rachel so and so, but no, that's not her. She's a, uh, one of the, that's not talking about transsexualism here, a man with a womb, a woman with a, it's talking about this is a man, a human, and she's different than me because she has a womb, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now we see this illustrated as far as it's with the order of things in 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. For indeed a man ought to not cover his head, because he is in the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Now what you have here is a chart. You have God, you have Christ, You have man, you have woman. That's your order of authority. And I know it doesn't mean that one is superior to the other, because the Bible is very clear that the father is not superior to Christ. He only has more authority in the relationship. But he's not superior because the Bible is clear that Christ is equal to God. So therefore, the wife, the woman, is not inferior to her husband. She simply has less authority in the relationship. Now, that's a lot that needs to be examined. But because of this relationship, if it's proper, God says that Christ was highly exalted. And that's why God says here that the woman, I desired therefore for in 1 Timothy 5, that the younger widows marry. Younger wi- the word widows there is the word for woman. The younger women, marry, some translations say, because it's the same word, gune, uh, that's for woman. The younger He's talking about widows in the general context, but his statement is that younger women marry, bear children, manage the house, guide the house, some versions say, give no opportunity for the av- av- to the average to speak reproachfully. Oiko despotes. Look at that word. I don't know if I have it separated out here or not. See that here at the bottom, oiko? That's the word for house. This is the Greek word, house. And then the despot the second part is the ruler of the house. Ha- a despot today, we think it was a negative rule, but the woman is said to be the ruler of the house, not in charge of the family or the relationship. In other words, brace yourself, hold, hold on to whatever you can hold on to. Her given sphere of influence is in the home. Brace yourself. As Douglas Wilson says, her hands are just, make, just made to make sandwiches." Just kidding. Sort of. Well, you know why you know why women's feet are shorter than men, don't you? So they can stand closer to the stove. <laughs> Ever heard that joke before? It's a good joke, huh? But no, no, no. This creates a sphere of influence, a sphere of work. And I'll, I'll tell you how that plays out. I how that plays out. I try, I try to be the head of my home, even though Judy knows everything and does most everything. and I give her honor for that. But I'm the one that's going to take the responsibility for how things are. When things are not going well, I hope that you'll find Mike taking responsibility and, and, even if it's not my fault. Amen. See, we only want to take the blame for something we think is our fault. And how many of us ever really want to say something's our fault? We don't. The head of the house takes responsibility for the home and how it works, how the family works, even when it's not his fault that things go poorly. It's his job. So if you come to me for marriage counseling and you're the husband and the wife, I'm going to look at that and go through all that. And I'm going to say, okay, husband, what are you going to do about this? Well, it's not my fault. Well, yeah, but you're the head. How are you going to fix this problem? you have an idea? You You need to step up and take responsibility. See, to be ahead means to take responsibility for something. So that's what a husband should do. And so, on the other hand, she has a responsibility. And the home and the management of things and how things go are her responsibility. Not 100% one thing, but it is hers. In other words, I'd rather her shop at Winn-Dixie And Aldi, because it's cheap, because I'm a cheapskate, she says, I like Publix better. Guess where she gets to shop? Publix. That's her job. She says, it's my job to take care of things. She's going to shop. She's going to cook. And when she wants to cook something, I say, delicious. And if she wants to paint the dining room pink, guess what color the dining room is? It's pink. And that's fine with me. Because she is the house ruler, does she always do whatever she wants to do and doesn't? No, we, neither one of us operate like that. On the other hand, when we discuss a big problem, I say I think we should go this way. We talk about it over and over again, and, and we come to the conclusion. And in the end, she looks at me and said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I say, "Well, I think we should do this. If you agree, uh, <laughs> guess what we do? We do what the ruler of the house, what what, what the head of the house says." We each have a responsibility. Does that mean I don't help with the dishes? Of course not. But it also means I'm I'm the one that fixes the dishwasher, or fix, you know, she cooks supper and I fix the transmission. Is this sexist? Well, I don't care if it is. In your house, if someone has to do the hard job, men in your house, you young men especially, if someone in, if some hard job needs to be done. Some dirty, painful, hard job. I suggest you step forward and try to do that job yourself. That's what I suggest that you do: to sacrificially love your wife, and I suggest you do her job. Now here's some takeaways We've got to stop. here's some takeaways from this. I can get too far about that. and you may not even agree with any of those things, but that's up to you. Here's some takeaways. Number one, women are not better than men. Brace yourself. On Mother's Day, I want to tell you something, women. Women are not better than men. They're different than men, but they're not better than men because they're women. Men are not bad. Men sin. Women sin. It looks different. It shows up different. But the problem is, most of us men, we, I got taught this, but I knew it already. I got taught when I was a little boy, don't hit girls. I had girl cousins that lived next door, you know. We're still close after all these years. Don't hit girls. Don't pick on girls. Be nice to girls. You know what all young boys, boys know this. And and when they don't act like that even other boys get after them for being mean to the girls. And so it's easy to come away with the idea that women are better than men because you shouldn't pick on them. And so therefore since I'm picking on women today, you think I'm a bad person. No, I don't think that's true. Women are not better than men. And when we have that idea, you'll be a better wife and better mother when you understand that. That your husband is male, he acts and thinks differently, and that's okay, that's fine, and you need to learn from that. He needs to learn from you what your side. See, we disagree. We're opposite in everything. We cannot be more opposite. Even today, after 47 years, we pull in a parking lot, I want to go right, she goes left. Everything is different. Instead of fighting that problem, that thing, I realize that and, but I just turned that off, no. Uh, Now I say, what do you think about that? And I try to take advantage of the difference between the two of us, not fight the difference, not try to make her feel like I do, not try to make sure I get my way. But see, that's a thing that women do. Men do it and women do it too. Their way is always right. Women are always right about everything. And they try to make sure the husband eventually agrees by hook or crook, by manipulation, by withholding, by everything. The woman is going to get her way. This is wrong. It's wrong. It'd be wrong if a a husband does it, it's abusive. We take him to court and get him thrown out of the house. If a wife does it, she's just being smart because she's obviously smarter than a man. It's not right. That will never produce a good society. won't produce a good home. It will destroy your marriage. And I don't care if the husband does it or the wife does it. Women are not better than men. And I don't, want to hear, I don't like to hear preachers preaching stuff like that. It's not right. It's not true. Whatsoever is true is what we should be worried about. And mothers are not better than fathers. The courts automatically give all the children to the mother. I think men like that at first. Because, good, I don't want those children. They're in a lot of trouble. They are a lot of trouble. And now we have a whole generation or two of fathers cut off from their children. It's not good for the fathers. Let me tell you who else is not good for. It's not good for the children, even more importantly. And no end of legal wrangling about it. And the truth is, our system of handling custody in this country is completely and totally unjust and unfair. And therefore, regardless of all the specifics, it will not work properly. Is it working properly? It's not. It will not work properly because it's inherently unjust that children are taken away from fathers. And mothers are given the presumption of, of this whole thing. It doesn't work well. And, and, and truth is mothers, fathers need to stand up and be men and women need to be women. That's, I'm good with that. Uh, men and women, therefore, and fathers and mothers are, therefore, very different from each other. This flies in the face of feminism, which been, has been in vogue since I was a teenager, it flies in the face of that, and we need to repudiate. As Christians, we need to repudiate worldly kinds of feminism repudiate in the church as well as in society. Not the idea that women should be respected and treated equally and fairly in everything. The Bible teaches that, but what's called radical feminism or third-wave feminism, we need we need to repudiate it wherever it rears its ugly head because it's destructive to human relationships. Both can be beneficial, both men and women. And both can be destructive to human flourishing. Both. And on Mother's Day, we need to remember that. I'm, I'm not afraid to stand here and tell you that, and that goes with my next point. I, I said this at her funeral. I didn't want to speak at my mother's funeral. I loved her so much, her and I were so close. But I, I had to speak, I owed it to her. She's the one wanted me to be a preacher, so I had to speak. At her funeral, of course, because she made me. Even when she was dead, she was making me do stuff. And and uh, I stood there and I said, well, I'm not going to stand here and pretend my mother was a perfect woman. I'm not going to do that, because she wasn't. You all know she had faults. I know she had faults. She knew she had faults. But I will tell you that she tried to live with what she thought was right. Could she always do it? She couldn't. One day at my funeral, you're going to say the same thing about me. So there's no use pretending... That our parents are perfect, they're not. But the Bible tells us to honor our father and mother, and this is a good day. To, and I'm glad our society has a Mother's Day for that reason. Uh, honor your mother. You can see her faults. That's okay. That probably is useful to you as you grow up to see the faults and weaknesses. But you need to give them honor. God's right about this, as a ten, one of the Ten Commandments, and it says it's, it's repeated in the New Testament too with promise. It's good for you to honor your mother, even if she's dead, to give her honor for being a woman and for bringing you this world and for taking care of you and for loving you. However poorly she loved you, she tried to love you properly. So this is what is good about it. And we're to honor our fathers also in the same way, which we'll come to next month, I guess it is. But I want you to think about these things, and, and that'll help us See, it, it may be painful to get nudged back on course. All I'm trying to do this morning is nudge us back on course a little bit. And once we get on course, everything will be is better because the truth will set us free. Pretending some secular worldly fantasy about the way humans are doesn't help us. Doesn't help you or anybody else. I think that's a trouble with a lot of young husbands is that they've been taught that, they're, that women are perfect and so they don't know what to do now they're married to a perfect person. And they see it's not perfect and so, but they can't say anything because they're being mean to the girls and, and that's, what, that's what's the problem of young women. They've been, they've been taught to idealize themselves and the marriage and their husband and they can't deal with the reality of what they got. And therefore they end up in big trouble in their marriage. You're not married to just a woman in generically. You're married to that particular one. Same thing with a man. But anyway, we can't get off that. Thank you for listening this morning. I appreciate it. Sorry it was so long. And try to have a little compassion and understand what I'm trying to say. Not just be mad at me. (laughs) But I do think it's important to know the truth. We're going to sing number 584, Softly and Tenderly. Jesus is calling. We're going to invite you to come to the front this morning if we can baptize you into Christ. We haven't talked much about that particularly this morning. But if you want to be freed from the burden of sin that you carry, that you've been walking around with, come and become a Christian today and lay that aside. Let us let be washed in Christ's blood, and we'll your brothers and sisters here will embrace you and take you in. If this morning we can pray with you about a fault or a problem you have. In life, it needs to be corrected as a Christian. Come to the front. We'll pray with you today. If we can help you, come right here. Let's stand and sing.